We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Christians. Hi, Blacks. This is, this is, this is very important. Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. This is, this is, this is... God bless America. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here, as always, with Mr. Million Jobs, Andreas Hale, preparing. Well, actually, we got kind of an easy week as far as covering fights. In a couple weeks, stuff really starts to ramp up with a huge fight in Vegas with Canelo versus Kovalev. And then we have, man, Deontay Wilder fighting. Ortiz at the end of this, so huge November coming up in the world of boxing. MMA has a huge MSG show that we'll be getting to next week as well. So next week, packed show full of predictions and breakdowns of all of that stuff. This week, we kind of get to just review, talk about a couple beefs that are going on in MMA. We get to talk about a sad, sad, uh, unfortunately, we get to talk about a sad incident in boxing and uh, kind of recap that and some of the dangers of boxing in and out of the ring that have cropped up lately. And then we finish it off with uh, old man Andreas Hale's favorite thing, WWE talk. Because Crown Jewel's a week away, they made some announcements. You were there, sir. You were on the ramp. Yeah, You, you I saw was. it firsthand. So you, you were close enough to grab the brass ring. So we're going to ask you about what you think of the WWE draft and their announcement for Crown Jewel, which I can't believe that we're almost two years after the first one, and this is still going on. So It's crazy. So we'll talk about that all in today's show. Let's start off how we usually do. 
And that is browsing the Twitterverse for some hot topics from this week. First one being a topic that I really, I missed the cycle, right? So I couldn't jump into the Twitter conversation. I felt like I was behind. I just decided to sit this one out. LeBron James probably could have taken a cue from me. When you miss something, just shut up. Uh, but the thing I saw it on your timeline was a woman shot by a cop in her home. Surprise, it's a black woman. And we're right back into this again. I feel like it was two weeks we were just talking about this. Yeah, man. It's, um, I don't know what to say about this, man. It's, it's once again, we have a, uh, a place where we can't be safe, which is our own home playing video games. Uh, a wellness check call from a neighbor uh, just to check because the front door was open and the light was on because it was an elderly woman. Um, cop went over there, didn't announce himself. Uh, first, it's a wellness check, first of all. Why, why are you showing up in full force is beyond me. Uh, but cop didn't announce himself, went around to the back, uh, and shot her through the window in front of her eight-year-old nephew, which is one of the things that's completely lost in this is that there was an eight-year-old that watched his aunt get killed in her own home. So that's fucked up, first of all. But, uh, it, I mean, I don't know how many times we got to talk about how exasperating this is to have to deal with stuff like this. You know, you, you can't play video games with your nephew. You can't eat ice cream. You can't have Skittles and iced tea. You can't have a toy gun. Um, you can't run away from the cops. You can't. You can't do anything. Like, where are you safe in 2019 as a black man in America, a black person in America? Um, I don't know. I don't know. And, I mean, you know, now they're trying to say that she pulled the gun, which is, I mean, come on, man. Texas is open. Yeah, it's in a home. Like, she can't see through the window. She thinks you're robbing her. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm in my house and I have access to a firearm, and I hear something in in the middle of the night going bump in the night in the backyard, I'm going to go get my gun. So it's afraid that to even come up is ridiculous. But again, here we are. Uh, we're, in, we're in a place where America's not safe. And the, the issue that keeps coming up that people aren't talking about as much is how how young in the force these cops are that are making these critical errors or blatant acts of racism. This cop in particular, I think, was on the force for a year. Um, it's, it's always somebody who's not been on the force that long. And I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say this real quick because I'm going to talk about my weekend because I was sick as hell. And I was watching Boys in the Hood. Now, this will all make sense in a second. <laughs> so I was sick as hell. I had food poisoning, so I ended up watching Boys in the Hood. And I forgot how amazing Boys in the Hood was. And Boys in the Hood opens up with uh, John Singleton citing a statistic that one in 21 African-American males have died before they're like 30 or something like that. And that was striking back in 1993 or two, whatever year Boys in the Hood came out. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, damn, that's not even something we even talk about anymore. No. Because we're getting killed by the cops now. So I was thinking about the movie Colors uh, because that also came on. And Robert Duvall and Sean Penn are, are buddy cops. Sean Penn's the rookie cop, and Robert Duvall's the, the, the older cop in the neighborhood. And the thing that struck me about Colors, this is why this is all about to make sense, is regardless of what you thought about the white cops and Colors and how they handle their business, who cares? They're on first-name basis with the gangsters in that area. And Duvall, it was a buddy system where Robert Duvall was being the buddy to Sean Penn, which was basically his mentor, yeah. and teaching him how to deal with the neighborhood. And he knew everybody in the neighborhood. So to circle that about around to this conversation, if we went back to a system where we had senior officers who knew neighborhoods, 
like this, and they got a phone call about a wellness check, he could a cop could have said, "Oh, I know that. That's Miss Such and Such's house," and immediately diffuse the situation. Yeah. And also, if he's riding with a younger cop, he's like, "Yo, chill. What are you put, pulling out your gun for? I know this person. This is not going to be trouble." So we need to get to a situation where, I mean, obviously none of us want to be cops. Like, who the fuck wants to be a cop in 2019 that's black? Yeah, I'm not um, signing up for that job. No, nah, I don't want to do that. But those that do and those that are brave enough to do so, it's very important that we start policing our own neighborhoods. Because if we're familiar with the people that we're around, because even if you look at The Wire, for instance, they knew the gangsters and they would know. But like, nah, he's not a killer. He's just a petty drug dealer or whatever. It is. Like, if you know the people in the area and situations like this come up, there is no... There's not the same level of fear as a completely naive white dude that's like 25 years old, fresh out of the forest, going to, into the hood and where it's perceived to be dangerous. So we have to get back to that. I don't even know how we get there at this point, but that's the thing that hit me the most. Like laying in my bed when I saw that, I was just like, yo, we need to get back to a system where cops, like we are policing our own neighborhoods because these young motherfuckers just don't know how to do it. And they're going to keep killing us. And shout out to a couple, I know a couple of people, I'd say four or five, like people I went to school with in Vegas in my class that have become cops. Um, dude, Chuck, who went to Valley, who was like all state football and basketball or whatever. He's a cop now. And he's in North Las Vegas. And, you know, it, there was a video last year on his Facebook. He's out there playing ball with kids at right. the neighborhood school and all that stuff. Like, and people, obviously, from like Rancho and Valley and everything, people take different paths in life. But he still knows them. So it's not like he's not like justifying what the hell they do. But he can tell like, okay, like, yo, chill out. On some reels, like, yo, you're going too far. Or something like this. Like, he, he has that respect level between them. Right. And so that, it, it does go a long way. But... And even then, it's just like, okay, I understand there's a shortage of police. So you, you get people going through training faster. You get people going through the academy faster, out on the streets faster. And they think the answer is putting more cops on the street. Like, hey, we have a violence problem. We need more cops. How do we get more cops? We, we lower our standards and put more people on the street. That shouldn't be the way it goes. Um, and you, you really touched on it. There has to be a new model. There has to be a change. And I feel like in a lot of these professions, like doctors, lawyers, those two, and, and you know, like your wife's in law school, she's about to be a lawyer. Um, I'm sure she's going to crush the bar and all that shit. But there's so many steps you have to go through along that path before you're actually in a courtroom. Right. Or you're handling clients. And even then, the partners are on you and watching you. Or maybe you're in there with, you know, you and another lawyer handling this case before you could ever be on a case by your damn self. Doctors do this all the time. There's residency. So you go through school for six years. There's a residency and then you do clinicals and then you're actually able to become a doctor and do shit on your own. That's like 10, 12 years worth of shit. Not saying that cops should go through the same, but there should be like a process of, okay, you go through the academy, you do a year of desk work, then you go out and you always have to be with a partner. And then after maybe four years, cool, you can be a decision maker out on the field. There's no reason for one person by them themselves to go and check up on a house in the hood at 2 a.m. when you're 24 years old. 
Yeah, because there is there's always going to be an inherent fear of the African American community. And being from Vegas, you know, those of you who don't who listen to the podcast who aren't from Vegas who never lived in Vegas, Vegas has its own hoods. But it's interesting because my wife grew up in North Las Vegas, well, actually West Las Vegas. Oh, and, West Side. <laughs> Wait, did she, she go to Green Valley? Did she get bussed over like in that program? Man, Man, my wife went to like seven different schools. She's got okay. a really interesting high school story. But anyway, <laughs> she lived in the West Side. And when I was in my youth group, we used to go to the West Las Vegas Library. And my grandmother used to take me to the meetings and be like, yo, don't, not even yo, because my grandma's an old Italian white woman. <laughs> um, my grandma would be like, hey, don't you leave this area because it's dangerous, right? And that's the West Las Vegas Library, do little. Like I had to stay there in order to be picked up. I never listened. I took the bus. I did whatever the fuck I wanted to do. But there was a street called D Street where everybody knew it's like you don't that's just not the street you walk down in the middle of the night like you just you just don't do it like Engelstead like none of that spot but my wife stayed over there and when I started when I met her and started going to her house I realized like there's there's still pockets of the hood that we we fear like even as black folks we're like man we shouldn't be over there but she lived her grandmother lived next door they had both had houses that were pretty big my gra- her grandmother had a swimming pool um, my wife comes from a two parent home with three kids they they all stayed together and everybody knew everybody in the neighborhood and it wasn't dangerous at all I mean occasionally a car would get stolen here or there but they weren't dangerous people so it's like, but for but for people who don't know those areas, everything's dangerous. Yeah, everything's like one turn away from murder, and it's like you can't have cops in those areas, man. You can't have these stupid white dudes in these areas because they're scared. They're scared. They don't even know why they're scared. They're just scared. I had no clue your wife was from D Street. Yeah. Oh, this next potluck. Me and her are gonna share stories. North Las Vegas stories. West Side stories. But see, like my wife, she lived a sheltered life. She would tell, she'd be the first one to tell you. She wasn't out. She didn't really do much. Like, she was she was very... I mean, her, her parents, they sheltered her. So it was like some but people I, that lived over there just didn't get out like that. I hear that a lot. Like, um, I remember listening to a Lupe album. And one of the lines was, the block club kept it from in front of my building. Yeah. And, and this is outside Chicago. But his his community, his block... Due to the adults there, like they just formed this bubble in the middle of like a very dangerous neighborhood. And even like where I grew up in New York, like on my block, like yeah, people grew up on my block and close friends of mine grew up to sell drugs or be in gangs and do wild shit, prison time, whatever, whatever. But when we were growing up, for all purposes, we were kind of sheltered within our block because we were all raised either by our grandmothers. Or our, my friend's parents were older, like my grandparents' age, because I was super young. Like, my parents were super young. So, like, the structure of our block kept us protected. No one was coming there and fucking with us, because we had, like, this, this, just, I want to say, like, patriarchy and matriarchy watching over us on the block. So, we all just played sports growing up. No one told us, yo, you want to sell drugs? No. I, people on my block started selling drugs because... They started going up through levels of sports and realized they weren't tall enough to play. And that's honest to God. Like, people on my block never had to sell drugs. Everyone's grandparents owned those homes. They're still in those homes. All this shit. They suck. The people who did sell drugs did it because they got bored. Because no longer could they run fast enough to play sports or jump high enough or grow tall enough. Everyone else who did played sports, went to college, did their own thing. So it's crazy how, like, yeah, there are these pockets of community 
And like you said, kind of policing yourself. But you can't do that for the people coming in from the outside. So whether it's cops, whether it's visitors, my dad tells me stories all the time. Like I was like, I called him a week ago. I was like, yo, when I was in New York, I was like, yo, it's like 11. What Chinese spot do you go to? I was like, there's one across the street, but I know you don't go to that one. How do I get to the one you go to? And he was like, yo, it's on Webster Ave. It was like on Webster and East Tremont. And he was like, yo, don't go over there right now, though. He was like, it's good if you go during the day, but you don't, you don't, you know, look like a normal cat, so don't go over there, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right. I ended up getting like some sandwich from Bodega anyway. But he was like, yo, not that you can't handle yourself. He was just like, you know, that block is just kind of rough. I don't want anyone starting something with you because you got something to lose. And that's just his perception, just from the outside. But people hang out outside on that block all day. So it's crazy. And that's my dad growing up in New York all his life, going to a place he goes to all the time and still telling me, yo, don't go there. Yeah. I mean, you got to know your communities, man. So that's, that shit's wild. Um, the biggest thing, even with this topic, before I move on real quick, that I want to touch on was, is this problem getting worse or do we just have more access to news? Um, it's a good question. Because this is our third time talking about this. I swear in six shows. It, it is because we have a greater access to news because, I mean, you can only imagine what it would have been about if there was social media when, like, Amadou Diallo happened or, you know, like, a lot of those Rodney situations. Rodney King. Oh, yeah. like, yeah. Shit would have been different. But I will say that there is an epidemic of, of cops that it's just ramping up. Their fear levels and their racism. I mean, dude, think about it. If you want to be a cop right now, if you're, like, a young white dude who decides, I want to be a, you know, a police officer— it's either for one or two things. Either you want to make shit better, you want to make shit worse. There's never, it's not really, I don't, I don't think anybody goes into this thinking that, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I, don't I feel like that's what it's always been though, right? Like, either you nah. want to make it better, like even like say, put the 80s and 90s, like people want to make their community better. I know a lot of people say that's why they got into it, right? So like, you grow up in New York all the time, you see crime in your neighborhood when you're young, you want to make it better. You got the Batman complex. That's the only way you can do it. You feel like that gives you enough power to make your community better. Cool. Or you were picked on, bullied, or just a jerk. You like picking on people. You want to show people that you got big nuts. And this is a career where you can walk around and do so. Because you got a gun and you have incredible amount of power on people who are organically afraid of you. So I feel like those have always been the two options. Yeah, but I, I think it's a little bit deeper than that now because because it's you know because it's such a major news item that uh, I think the idea of uh, being a cop now as a white man in America comes with an automatic perception, especially from black people, like we don't fuck with you for one. So yeah. either you're like either I'm going to work hard in those communities to show them that I do care or I'm working extra hard and overtime to really show you I don't give a fuck about you and I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now the with a, a lot of cops you know from rural areas and getting these gigs it's like they come in with the reeking of fear already so it's like it, it's nothing good is going to come out of this yeah. so I don't know man it's, it's a mess but um but it, I, I do think that the cop situation is worse because we do have an access to news. So I think it's they go, kind of go hand in hand. It's that heightened paranoia, kind of. 
Like, yeah. yo, the whole community, the whole world is against us now. Yeah. So they turn and kind of feed off of that. So that, that's true. Um, so they do go hand in hand. One thing that this heightened level of access has given us is more access to Kanye West. Jesus Christ. Really? This, yep. The, you were sick. The brunch gods retained you over the weekend. Uh, you went from posting a bottle of your champagne from your wine club of the month to being bedridden for two days. So I was like, ha, ha, ha. And you were taking shots at me for my Yankees. So I felt no remorse for you over the weekend. But in the midst of that, Kanye West showed up at Howard Homecoming. Yes, he did. For his Church of Kanye or whatever the hell that is. Sunday service. It was a Saturday. He did Sunday service on a Saturday. And the crowd could have been deeper. Let's say that. Could have been deeper. But there was still a shitload of people there. Is it to the point where black people have forgiven Kanye? Like, cancel culture is is a myth, right? Like, at this point? Yeah, for the most part. Like, so, all right. So I went to an HBCU and at Morehouse was the first time that I experienced black people from all walks of life. Like, young black Republicans, like... Like being Black from Republicans Vegas. at Morehouse? Oh, fuck yeah. Um, like, this all walks... I mean, you got to think about it. It's not just a certain group of, you know, people like me. What I found out is, like, there's just more people from different walks of life, but they just happen to be Black. So Black Republicans, Black conservatives, Black activists, like, everybody's there. See, yeah, so, I always just thought, and that's still me, like, I guess that's my level of ignorance to this day, and way too much uh, a different world. But I always thought like it was just a bunch of woke black people at these schools. Nah, man, it's not. It's not. And, you know, there's a mixture there. But my issue is like seeing this is that, again, y'all was so pissed off when Kanye said slavery was a choice. The only way the only place you should have walked that fucker was to a goddamn African-American studies class. That's the only (laughs) place you should have went. Like, there's no reason you should have been out there performing some co-opted gospel music to try to get your attention. And then he grandstands y'all. And says that I thought I was canceled. Like word, like uh, he mocks him. He really does. And y'all out there, and I'm I'm saying y'all as a general term, but you know, hooping and hollering because it's fucking Kanye West. Like, dude, the best thing we can do to Kanye West when it comes to this is ignore him. Yeah. Like when he shows up, don't go out there. Like some people, like you know, go out there and boo. No, don't even do that. The worst thing that could happen to Kanye is him showing up somewhere and nobody's there. Yeah, that's the worst thing that can it's happen. It's like pro wrestling, right? People booed Roman Reigns. Like, no, who cares? He's getting a reaction. The worst that's thing you could do is be quiet. Yeah, so that Kanye's whack, man. Like, I don't even. Again, it's an indictment on the people who support Kanye. Kanye's going to do Kanye things, so whatever. But it's an indictment on people who claim to be. And it's not even just the Kanye thing. It's like if you claim you're down for the cause, and if you say, I don't like Candace Owens, like, not even Kanye West. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like Candace Owens. Or the chick like, who uh, is in our intro this week who you had a beef with on the yeah, timeline who said, if, if, hi, blacks, vote for Donald uh, Trump. <laughs> but if, if you are cut from that cloth and you don't like those individuals and you have somebody who supports those individuals, then it's kind of like, well, what are you doing? Like, you, you in turn, you're supporting them. Like, you can't be riding high for... Fuck Candace Owens or... But that's the um, thing. Like, people are treating Kanye like he's different than that. 
He ain't different. He's stupid. That, that that's the point, man. Like, like people forgot he was rocking the MAGA hat by now. Like now he's just church Kanye, and and that whole MAGA gimmick is behind him. It, it's really like he switched pro wrestling gimmicks, and people just rolled with it. Man, again, we have a we have short term memory. That's what social media kind of does. We move on, but we don't really cancel things, man. We like we really say, yo. I'm done with this. No, you're not. Because if he makes a hot song, you're going to be right back out there. Or if he does something that appeals to your spirituality, which is crazy, but whatever. <laughs> Talked about that but, last week. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but now, you, now here you are. Like, you're supporting Kanye, and it's like, you don't see anything wrong with it. But teacher's own at this point, like, I don't fuck with Kanye. Like, I, you know, when I see something stupid, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Just like I do anything else. But the best thing we can do is ignore that dude, man, because he's a sucker. Can't ignore him. One last thing. And we're just turning this into something uh, to give a fun little story time for us before we get into um, our combat sports for this week. The other Kanye headline was a video that showed Kanye telling Kim that her dress was too sexy and he doesn't want her to dress sexy to some gala or something and then storming off when she says, you dress me sexy for years. This is like my persona. I want to be sexy. She was like, you've gone through this change. I'm not in that same place. I want to dress how I dress. And he storms off like a little girl. Or excuse me, like a little kid. Girl, boy, regardless. Sex neutral, he storms off like a baby. And it brought me to think of, Dre, has there ever been a time where you tried to tell the wife, like, yo, you can't really wear that? No. Exactly. Good. I feel the same way. Because I'm watching this. I'm like, yo, you're bugging. Like, what? That's at this point, you know who he married. Yeah. So like, it's like, if she dresses sexy, she she did that when you decided to marry her. If she doesn't dress sexy, she didn't dress sexy when you decided to marry her. I mean, look, man. The, the thing most important about Kanye is it's like the Kim Kardashian thing, and this goes for most men. Like, this is what got you to the dance. So why is she gonna stop doing it? And more importantly, not only did this get you to the dance, it wasn't like Kim has had what two kids, however many damn kids they got since and I now. Think, yeah, three, three, two and a possible. One was by surrogate. Yeah, spades. Yeah, so it's like this is what she's been doing her entire life, like before you, during you, and probably after you. And here you come, like, yo, this doesn't rock with my new spirituality. Get out of here. Yeah, it's not on brand. Nah, man. It like, is, is what he's trying to say. Like, in a nutshell, it's not on brand to my new followers who are putting money in my pocket. Well, I uh, mean, it's, it's all one big marketing thing for them to begin with, but sorry, Kanye. Like, Kim is going to make her money, and there ain't really nothing you could do about it. And it's funny, because I, I thought you would say that response, because your throwback pictures of you in, like, 2X t-shirts and a fitted, and... Like the wife, like your your wife, when she gets out and she steps out, she dressed up all the time. You post pictures, or I, I've seen your wife in like five, six different hairdos. Yeah, just crushing it throughout the two thousands. So it's crazy to see, like, even and I guess Kanye doesn't have an on and off switch, but normal people like us balance this in everyday life. Like you can decide to take your wife out next weekend without the baby. And she dress up and be like, oh, that's dope. And me the same way. It's like, yo, you know what? Sometimes I just, you know, I got to tell the wife, like, yo, you know what? Throw on that super sexy outfit I bought you. 
But you know what? It's crop top today. Like, let's do it. Highest heels you got. And like, yo, the hell with what everyone else thinks. It's just so weird. I, I wondered if there was like this group or this sect of, of husbands that really feel that way. Like, yo, your wife can no longer be sexy. Yeah, dog, again. I got to ask wife. I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe we'll get feedback from women who may listen to our show or guys with women. Uh, I know a lot of guys that listen and communicate with us are married. I, I wonder that, like, does anyone realistically tell a wife, like, nah, you know what? I don't want you to be sexy. Yeah, I'm sure maybe there's somebody out there that probably divorced and lonely. But, yeah, uh, that's, that's a nerd-ass move. So, yeah, Kanye's a nerd-ass dude. So, good. You don't fall in that category with him. Um, let's switch over to combat sports because we're going to take this from a Kanye, our, our beef with Kanye, to the hottest beef in MMA. And that's a nerd in the best of ways, Israel Adesanya versus John Jones, in which I think they're going to work themselves into a shoot. Yeah. This shit is getting crazy. Adesanya's post today was hilarious when he's checking out like the new Lambo and he's like, oh, I think I might go run over a pregnant lady later. Hey, man. And she was like, oh, shots fired. And then he puts out an Instagram video. It was like, yo, I used to sleep under the, the cage to save on gas getting back and forth to the gym. You hid under the cage from Usada. Like, he's bringing out the big guns. I mean, you kind of have to. Look, man. John Jones is, is playing a weird game right now because <laughs> yeah. you're the best fighter in the world and Israel Adesanya has been in the UFC for less than two years. For you to even respond to him the way that you have, it should be above you. Like, this should be above you. You should just be like, no. Like, you should be respectful and just be like, yo, the kid's still got some work to do. You know, maybe eventually we'll fight. That really should be it. But now you're making Adesanya, you're making his day. Yeah, you're making because, him something bigger. It, it reminds me of Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo. Yeah. Where, where Jose got so out of character, he built McGregor into this giant thing. Even in his head, he built McGregor to a level where in the end, it didn't bite him in the ass. It's, it's just stupid because, look, man, uh, this is a podcast, and I know a lot of people, like, I'm fascinated by the different walks of life that I've met that have listened to this podcast, but uh, we're two black guys, right? And, um... We're two black guys who respect the culture and the community, and I'll go on record in saying that I don't trust John Jones with the culture. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. Yeah, so when it comes to Israel Adesanya, I'm always going to ride with him because I just feel like he's one of us. Um, so when John comes out and says these things, like I can't take away from the fact that the man is an excellent fighter, but I don't fuck with him as a human being. So instead of letting your skills do the talking, you're jumping in this cornball area, and it's just like, yo, you just this don't work. Like, for black folks, we're like, nah, man. Like, John might still beat his ass. Don't get me wrong. John, I think, is still the best fighter on the planet. Arguably the greatest MMA fighter of all time. But I'm not rocking with John on this. Arguably? You th it's not over yet. It's, it's, the only it's not over yet. It could fall off a cliff tomorrow. That's, what I'm, that's or, my only Or he thing. can do some shit where it ends tomorrow. Like, if, we, if, if, if everything stopped right now, John Jones is the greatest MMA fighter on the face of the planet. Yeah. But it, it's, it hasn't. At some point, we could have said the same thing about Anderson. At some point, we could have said the same thing about Fedor. Exactly. So, when it comes to skills, I'm going to ride with John Jones. But when it comes to people, like people I want to see win, I'd like to see John get his head knocked off by Adesanya. 
So when he does this 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 dance and talks shit and it's like, dog, you are pathetic as a human being. You've done a lot of whack shit. So when you coming out here and picking a fight with a new kid on the block, you just look desperate. And you shouldn't be that because you used to be the young dude on the block. Relax. He just, I don't know if it's purposeful. Like, right, it, he is a guy running out of opponents. He, he's running out of marquee fights, matchups, money fights. This might be his best chance. But now he's still gambling that Adesanya is going to win for two or three fights. Yeah, like, Adesanya ain't moving up to light heavyweight no time soon. And no. John's got a huge size advantage when it comes to Adesanya. Oh, insane. And Adesanya is not small for that division in terms of length and height. But in terms of size, yeah, I don't know how much bigger Adesanya can get. Yeah, I mean, they're close. And it's funny because they're close to the same age. So, you know, Adesanya, I believe, is 31 or 30 or something like that. They're close to the same age. But when it comes to experience, John hasn't beat. But it's just like, John, relax, man. Relax. And and now now you're just going to get put in the spin cycle. Because Adesanya is going to let these rounds off. And I'm going to laugh the entire time. (laughs) The entire time. But John stays relevant. Because honestly, what's his next fight? Who's his next fight? See, watching this UFC Boston card coming up and hoping that Chris Weidman wins? I mean... Because Reyes be, was supposed to be the next guy. Reyes might be the next guy. Yeah. Actually, Reyes will probably be... I mean, Reyes, Dom, uh, Johnny Walker, like, th- there's guys knocking down John's door. The heavyweight. But, you know, John, focus on what you gotta do. Don't worry about it. He just won his title. Yeah. I mean, but it, it's fun. And John recognizes the money. To me, to Adesanya, this is nothing but a huge compliment. This yeah. is John saying, you know what? This is not only my biggest threat, but the guy who can make me the most money. He's the next star. So, so it's time to hitch my wagon to Adesanya. So it's not, it's not a dumb thing. Um, let's take a look at the fights from last weekend in the UFC. We had UFC Tampa, pretty much main... The main card, uh, we had Joanna and Jacek versus Michelle Waterson. Joanna looked like the old Joanna, even though she had the crazy nutty professor style foot by the end of it, which didn't even fit her body. It's black and blue. It's gigantic. That shit was crazy. Yeah. Uh, so the main thing is she made weight and it makes me wonder, like, what the hell was this all about? <laughs> like, she made weight. I feel like it was kind of whack. I'm not going to say maybe it's mind games. I don't. Uh, if you're Michelle Watterson, you're over thinking, you know, she. I'm not even fight this chick anymore. It might change your entire game plan. Yeah. She may wait. So what was this all about? From Joanna's explanation throughout the week is that she wasn't losing weight um, for an unknown reason, like she usually does. I mean, I don't think she's ever missed weight yet um, in her career. But the pounds weren't coming off as she anticipated, so she wasn't sure she was going to get there. Uh, she got there comfortably. She made champions weight. But with that, I, again, this is it's weird, especially in MMA. And it's something I wish other people did more. But it's a topic that I really don't know much about. And I would like to know, like, as a woman cutting weight, what do you do if you're just bloated? Like, and you can't control that shit. Like, what if just that's the time around your calendar that your body isn't cooperating? And you're bloated and you tell the UFC, like, yo, 
you know what? This fight just so happening to fall on this week. I might not make it. Like, that's some real shit I'm thinking. I mean, I think it is, too. It's just, it, it's a weird dynamic because women's bodies are different. And, I mean, the fact that she may wait, I, it's just, I don't know, because when the fight happened, when the fight finally did happen, because she did make weight, it still looked like you had a straw weight who could potentially be weight versus a woman who could potentially be an atom weight. Yeah. Like, there was a distinct size difference between the two. Um but yeah, man, I, I don't know. When it, especially when it comes to women. I mean, I guess it's true because I would, I wouldn't, I would definitely not be okay with this if it was a guy like a week ahead of time was like, "Yo, I'm not making weight." It's like what? <laughs> like what? <laughs> well, then cancel the fight, and then he goes, "Well, don't cancel the fight. I'm gonna make the weight," and then you make the weight. It just feels like you know, it's like we're playing games here. But and you're in this case because I did see her say that she was like, you know, I, I wasn't dropping the weight, and then she was determined to make the weight. She made the weight. I don't know how to deal with that shit because I just know as an op- if you're the opponent and you're like waiting to find out if this person's gonna make weight or not, that's crazy. I yeah. don't know. No, it's bananas. I just yeah, it's something that I, I don't know how they handle it. So I just I'm giving her the better for the doubt on that one because I I don't know. That might be an actual problem in weight cutting in women. So who knows? And then we have Mackenzie Dern on this card who came back after. Like what two months after giving birth or something crazy? Four four months. Four which months. Is- that Insane. Is um, and she was in the best shape of her career. To the point where she was like 123 days out. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. And she ran into a striker that she really couldn't solve, but she didn't look horrible in her return. No, nah, she may wait. You know, I mean, again, you know, everybody from Sabrina to all these other women, women are amazing creatures. And you know, you know, uh, the, the woman who had broke the uh, the track record. Oh yeah, great story that was. It's just like women are amazing creatures. As a man, like I know men be talking about how tough we are, but come on, dog. Nah. I, my, I watched I watched my wife give birth. Fuck that. And to think that because you gave birth, breastfed, and was back in the octagon in four months—that's nuts. Was it a long labor? I've never seen a long labor. Uh, my wife's labor wasn't long. Oh, okay, crazy. Good. good. Yeah, like all my kids, the labor entire thing was three hours. Like each one was oh, three okay. hours on the dot. Just boom. From water breaking to baby out in three. So it was, it was quick. Shit. Bop, bop, that's, bop. That's not my wife. Yeah, <laughs> like, like clockwork. To the point where my son was coming and we at the hospital like, yo, call the OBGYN. Like tell her doctor it's coming. Like they come three hours on the dot and the nurse was like, no. Uh, we'll call her in a second. Don't worry, she got time. And then I caught my son with one hand. Bomb. She pushed. She like my ex-wife rolled over. She was on her back. She gave one push. Boom! I caught his head in my hand. He slid out. The one nurse in the room grabbed his body. She like yeah, cut the cord. And we had to wait thirty minutes for the doctor to come. Wow. Yeah. Well, Wild shit. But we knew it. Like boom. And then. I, my ex-wife just had a new baby, and I think she was in labor for like 19 hours. Shit's weird. <laughs> <laughs> can't, even, can't even call it. So, uh, yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Yeah, women are amazing. Who, who knows? But, you know what? They were kicking ass this past weekend, so they were definitely the highlight of last weekend's card. Uh, this weekend, we have UFC Boston, which is this the two... Wait. There's like some milestone coming up, right? Like the 500th card or something like that? Yeah, the the five hundred show is coming up. 
Is that uh, this? No. No, I think no, they're no. at I think they're at four ninety seven with this particular show. Oh, okay. So but you know what? Around. I don't care. <laughs> you know, celebrate the little milestones, like five hundred. That's a pretty good number. But you right. know what milestone I'm gonna celebrate? When these fighters get paid fairly. That's a milestone I'll celebrate. <laughs> well, we're gonna be waiting a while for that one. Yeah. Um we have Dominic Reyes versus Chris Wyman in the main event. Uh Chris Wyman's not fighting in New York. So you know what? The guy got a chance. <laughs> that's 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 half the battle, right? Um, get him the hell out of New York. It's just not kind to Chris Weidman. Um, Reyes is a beast. Weidman's moving up for the first time. I'm gonna pick Dominic Reyes, but it won't surprise me if Chris Weidman wrestles the hell out of him for five rounds. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pick Reyes only because Weidman just has not looked good in his past four fights. Yeah, the chin um, is shaky. Yeah, and it's just it just feels like I mean it doesn't feel like it's what it is. When MMA fighters fall off the cliff, they fall the fuck off the cliff. And uh, Weidman has, you know, a lot of guys like Weidman become fighters that they're not. You know, they go away from the things that made them who they were. You look at Romero, who's gone away from his wrestling. You look at uh, Weidman, who started striking a little bit more. Like, because they have success against lower-level fighters, but then when it comes up and then you stop relying on what got you to the dance, and now you're not as good at it anymore. Like, Weidman talked for years about his vaunted grappling, and we've never seen it. And at this stage of his career, it's like, if you get in a striking match with Dominic Reyes, you might get knocked out. So More than likely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Reyes. I'm going to go with a guy who's younger, who has uh, momentum. He's coming off a fight that wasn't so great, but uh, he's got a lot more to prove right now. So I'm, I'm going to pick Dominic Reyes. Uh, I'd say he stops him. Just, I feel like Weidman... Weidman to, imagine this. Weidman and Rockhold are both essentially washed up. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. Weidman, Rockhold... Is it weird to say Anderson Silva is the best fighter out of the three right now? That, I mean, not yet. I think... The guy <laughs> went the distance with Adesanya. Yeah, well, I think that was... I mean, that was respect, but I mean, still... Still. He did, but I, yeah, I mean, Wyman's still better than Anderson Silva. Uh, maybe they'll fight again. Yeah, I don't uh, know. At this point, I don't know. It's crazy. But yeah, yeah. I'm picking Reyes. Um, Yari Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. The rematch after the eye poke. Um, I think Stevens is so pissed off, it's going to do him in and get him knocked out. I think so, too. I think Yair would have beat him the first time. Yeah. So um, there are dangerous fights for Yair Rodriguez. This, I don't think, is one of them. I think this is a good matchup for him. No one's going to take him down. No one's going to bully him. Like we've seen, uh, damn, who was that? Someone Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar. Exposed him. That, yeah, that was it. And, and just bullied him in the octagon. So that's not going to happen. We've seen um, him versus Korean Zombie, where he landed that nice elbow after well, he was probably going to lose on the cards. But that was really good. So I think this is a good fight for him. Um, we have Greg Hardy again on a, on a television car. I expect Greg Hardy to get a knockout sooner or later. They got to feed him to someone, right? Yeah, he's talking big shit now. So big it's, shit, it's like, feeling himself. You got to feed him at least a vet. I do want to see him um, fight Wal Harris. Wal Harris is fighting on the main event of one of these fight night cards. If Wal Harris wins, I think that's the fight to make. Because I like that. big ticket, big ticket got heavy hands too. Exactly. And I'm at the point now where I'm tired of hearing Greg Hardy talk. So get in there and fight somebody that's worth fighting because you're not as good as you think you are. Unless you can prove me wrong. So do that. 
Yeah, I don't mind that. That's that's a good matchup. Um, that's pretty much it for this card. We have Macy Barber on this card. Uh, Macy's is, good. Macy's good. Uh, ESPN. We put out we put out the top twenty five under twenty five MMA. And when I was at work, this came out like beginning of this week, and it's striking how thin MMA is under twenty five compared to boxing. Yeah. Crazy, eye-opening. Like number one on the list was uh, McKee from Bellator, as it should be. Well, well deserved. And then Macy was like third, and the shit drops off a cliff. Like that. I, I mean, on this list still is uh, the karate dude who went to one. What is his name? Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt still made the list. Top twenty-five on the twenty-five. Mm. Yeah, is, Aaron Pico, is Aaron Pico on the list? Too? Aaron Pico came in at like 13. Yeah, I mean, MMA is just a, uh, it's a different piece, man. Guys peak much later. Uh, boxing, it's not the same. That, not and the same. that's what I was thinking, right? It's just when you have that in MMA, it's not built for people under 25. Like, it's such a weird list to make because... You look at Robbie Lawler. He came in like a, a world beater and then all this talent. He fell off, got his ass kicked for a while, came back and was a champion. So you don't know when it's going to click. It went uh, AJ McKee. Sean O'Malley was number two. Damn. Right? And then uh, Edmund, who's pretty good, but he's actually coached by Edmund. Uh, Ronda's <laughs> coach, so head movements. That scares me. Um, Nasrats is cool. German-born fighter. Aspen Ladd is on here in the top five. Macy Barber was six. Jimmy Crute, seven. So you, you look, you're, you're going down the list. Song Young Dong, who is cool, but three losses already. It, it gets really thin. It, you get to people where people don't know who the hell they are. Aaron Pico, four and three at 13. Angela Lee is at 14, criminally underrated. Yeah, I, I mean, it took a lot, you know, uh, when she tried to win, win a title in another weight class that she just clearly wasn't ready for. Yeah, um, and she ran that back. She just got her revenge, what, like last week? Well, yeah, she she defended her title on one uh, last week. So Against yeah. the champion she had lost to, dropping down, yeah. trying to become a double champ. And she looked great, but... Uh, I think these MMA lists, it's kind of weird because, like, in boxing, if you do a 25 under 25, and off the top, you got, like, Tia Fimo, you got David Benavidez, you got Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of guys, and a lot of them are in title contention already against upper-crust names. They have fights coming up. In MMA, we're still doing this based off of potential. Like, we're still looking at Aaron Pico and saying he's got the potential. To turn it around. Yeah, but eh, we'll see. Yeah, it's it's just weird, man. That jumped out to me right away. Like, damn, like MMA is thin under twenty five. But then you got you have a guy like Adesanya who decides to start MMA at twenty nine. Yeah, so it's like he would have never made any of these lists. You have Olympians that are going to the Olympics in what twenty twenty, and then as soon as they're done with that, they'll be twenty four, twenty five, and then starting MMA. Guy like DC who doesn't start until he's thirty. So you, you have guys that go through full college careers. And, you know, Penn State and Ohio, Oklahoma State and Minnesota and Arizona State, like all these, a lot of the top fighters do that in college and they have to train for a couple of years. So under 25, that shit's just, it, it's a crazy list to think of. 
25 through 30 is a more accurate list in MMA than under 25, um, which is bananas. Let's switch over to boxing, um, which starts, you know, on a horrible note with the death of Patrick Day. I believe you guys announced it first. Yeah, um, um, it was our card. It was the undercard of the um, the Usyk fight. Uh, I was actually watching that fight, and it's yeah. gone well. Um, and for those who haven't seen it, I, I mean, obviously everybody's heard about it, but uh, it wasn't a fight where Day was getting destroyed. He was losing the fight uh, heading into the 10th round. But it wasn't one of those fights that you won trouble it wasn't a fight where you uh it wasn't like the fight and i can't think right now the ufc card um this past weekend where dude took so much punishment and oh, ended up yeah, getting knocked that out that was crazy down. i'll find and after fight the first was, I, forgot what I, I can't even think but the, the guy came in on late notice i know that and then ended up whooping ass yeah so it i mean and these and it's funny because these two fights were literally like five minutes apart their finishes um because i was watching both but I was watching the Patrick Day fight against Chris Conwell, and I was just like, uh, you know, nothing happened. And then it was like a swift left hook, dropped him. And he went down, and Day went down really hard. Even still, nothing alerted me to the fact that this man's life might be in danger. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until he didn't move for an extended period of time, because that's what you usually look for. You usually look for them to eventually sit up and, you know, regain their consciousness. The doctors come in. But it didn't happen. And... Um, you know, uh, they loaded him in the gurney, they put oxygen mask. So we were getting, over at the zone, we're getting information from Lou DiBella, uh, from Matchroom, finding out what's going on. And we knew it wasn't good when they were loading him into the gurney. He was seizing on the way to this hospital, um, emergency brain surgery. Um, and yeah, uh, passed away yesterday, which was Wednesday. Um, it's a tough year for boxing and death, and it sucks because... I know in the fighter meetings with Patrick Day, he, he talked about how his mother didn't want him to fight. And then this happens. And uh, there's two things, because you never want to see anybody lose their life doing something they love. And there's also going to be the critics who are going to immediately come out who don't like boxing to begin with that say this, this is why this sport shouldn't be happening. And that's, that shouldn't be the case. Um, it's a unique situation. Uh, if we want to talk about, like, if, if, if you don't like boxing because you don't like the barbaric nature of it or what have you, teach his own. But Patrick Day loved what he did. And people that were around Patrick Day that we've talked to uh, spoke very highly of this young man who was a standout amateur from New York, um, former, like, uh, alphabet titleist. Uh, but he, he was a glowing type of personality. And for him to pass away, it's horrible. But it's, let's not start indicting the entire sport of boxing. Um and there's really nothing we can do in this type of scenario. Uh, when fighters die like this, it's not like the, the ref couldn't have stopped, stepped in any sooner. The medical attention could have happened any sooner. Nothing could have saved him except for him not being in this fight. And it's just one of those nights. And it's, it's a horrible thing. And, you know, we've we feel I mean, obviously, it's rough for us in the zone because while this is happening, we're still watching boxing. And. You never know when something like this will happen. And like I said, in, a, in just a few minutes earlier in MMA, I watched, I'm literally watching a guy take 156 strikes before he gets knocked out. And he just looked terrible from the beginning. And he's fine. And Dave just he hit the canvas wrong. Brain swelling, and now he's gone. And it's just it's, a, it's an unfortunate circumstance. Um, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just really tough to talk about because it's something I've been covering for years. And 
you don't want to see people pass away doing what they love. Ever. Um, the letter from his opponent was just so great to read in a horrible situation, you know, how it's affecting him. The, the guy who won the fight, you know, like, um, who was also a good up-and-coming boxer. And, and to see that, it, it's just, it's crazy how many people it is affecting. And something, yeah, you just, you never can plan for. But again, this is something we've had like, three times in six months. It's yeah, just it's, horrible stretch. Yeah. A, a very unfortunate, unlucky stretch, but horrible stretch at that. Yeah, I just... It's, it's on, I, don't, I don't know. What, I can't really figure out what to say about it. It's just like, dude, again? Another one? Yeah. Um, oh, and UFC, the fight was between Mike Davis and Thomas Gifford. Ah, Mike Davis, yes. Thomas where um, Mike Davis was wrecking him, almost stopped him after the second round. I didn't expect him to get off of the stool to the point where he sat down at the stool in his corner asked him, oh, oh, how are you doing in the fight? And he says, horrible. Yeah, yeah, and, and then the they're like, fight. "Do you want to keep going?" And he's like, "Sure." And Yo, they I put was, him back out there. Like, what? The, no, I, that's it. That's it. I, I was blown away because, like, yo, knowing what you know about, like, this is this is a sport that requires for you to try to knock your opponent unconscious and trauma and all these things and health and everything. You're you're trying to hurt somebody, and if the man that you're cornering says, "Yo, I feel horrible." I'm like, yo, tonight's your, not your night. Live to fight another day. That's it. You know you're down on the cards two rounds to none. Maybe a 10-8 round. He's not going to come back and win the cards. It doesn't look like he has or get has enough in the tank to get a stoppage. So what do you set him back out for? Oh, that was crazy. No, it makes no sense. So, um, yeah, man, it, it's crazy. Hopefully we see you know more corners throwing the towel in both sports. I feel like we see him way more often in boxing. Than yeah. MMA, but uh, you know, fighter safety has to be top priority now. After seeing these things uh, occur, which is sad, but they they are happening. And like we talked about to start the show, the media availability, the nature of news and the outlets we have now, it really amplifies when these things happen. So yeah. we got got to force you know the change behind it. Um, in boxing news as well, Errol Spence. Looks like he's pulling through, like we announced on, on last fight, but that there might be an interesting cause to that crash. Yeah, a um, D- DWI. Um, yeah. I was holding out hope that he was just very tired and fell asleep behind the wheel. Nah, man. <laughs> um, and I don't even mean to laugh about this, but it's the worst kept secret in boxing. Like, everybody in boxing knows about Errol Spence's affinity for the spirits. And uh, we hoped, that's, that was the thing, was we hoped that this wouldn't be uh, the cause of you know, him nearly dying in a tragic car accident. Um, but it seems like this is the case. And you know, I, I talked to a good friend of mine uh, yesterday about, will this be Errol Spence's wake-up call? And my answer was no. And that's why. And I said, because nothing bad happened. Uh, he can... You know, DWI, Mr. Beaner, I think B, he'll he'll fight, be fine. He didn't break anything. He had like a face laceration. He wrecked a car. I think this, a lot of these things, I mean, it should 
be a wake up call to say, you know, maybe I need to lay off the sauce a little bit. Or just take it over. Get as drunk as you want. But but the thing that what ends up happening is I'm not gonna say Errol Spence is like John Jones, but I will say that a lot of guys end up feeling invincible because nothing happened. And this was like in this situation, this was like the worst case scenario for Errol Spence. A car a Lamborghini going high speeds flips over three times and he walks away with a few scratches on his face. Yeah, feel like Superman. Either you can feel wildly thankful and grateful and change, or you can feel invincible like Superman and go completely left. And I, I, I don't think that this will be the way. I mean, I hope maybe the fact that he has two daughters. I mean, I hope somebody gets in his ear and is like, yo, this isn't the way to go. You need to relax and get a driver. Do something. Yeah. But, man, I, I don't know how this will affect the Danny Garcia fight. Uh, in January, I, we have no idea about any of that. I just, I'm glad I they haven't even heard. Is he out of the hospital? You know, uh, one report said he was. I haven't talked to anybody at PBC yet uh, to get a final determination. But uh, one report said he wasn't. One report said he was. No, he's still there. Um, so I don't know. But it, all I know is he's fine. So hopefully, whatever it is, hopefully somebody take, pulls him to the side and was like, "Look, you got, you have a bright future to be arguably one of the greatest welterweights to ever live." If you just stay on the straight and narrow, but you could just ruin it all if you keep doing this dumb shit. Yeah, and that was your warning. You don't get two, you. Nah. You get one, and that's it. So, hopefully, he stays on the straight and narrow. Um, fight this weekend, unification bout. Uh, Better BF is fighting. It was a cool interview he did. Uh, GSP as his uh, mentor, which was super dope. This past weekend, yeah. Um, but this fight's happening in, let's see, in Philly this weekend. Yeah, better be of in Zodic. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a... I learned how to spell that this week. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to say this is for, this is not the Canelo sweepstakes, it's the Kovalev sweepstakes. I feel like, if Koba were to win, he'd fight one of these two. If Canelo were to win, probably not. So I mean, he still has to stay in the division. Canelo's not going to fight one of these two, so it's probably Kovalev, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know, it's Kovalev broke because um, the other title holder in the division, uh, Dimitri Bivol, was not fun to watch this weekend, and it was just like, yo, um, nobody really wants to fight this guy. You know, obviously it's the zone, it's a bunch of shit, but. Uh, this should be a really Chavez good fight. Chavez Jr. is coming back. Oh, God. It's not confirmed yet. Okay? <laughs> this guy just keeps getting fights. Yo, I don't know. If anybody, there's a picture of Chavez Jr. that's floating around the internet that's very recent. He looks like he's 60 years old and terrible. Yo, his father looks in better shape. It's crazy, but... It's nepotism, man. Like, Chavez shouldn't have been here in the first damn place. He never took this sport seriously. Um, but, yeah. So, this unification fight is the only real thing going on in boxing this weekend uh, before we start rolling in. I mean, we got another week where I think Shakur Stevens is the following. Then we have the Canelo Kovalev fight. But yep. nothing really to talk about too much on the boxing end of things. No. Uh, so, we can dive right into pro wrestling because nothing imminent this week. So, we can kind of look back. Um, WWE had the crown jewel presser last week, and you were there last Friday mm -hmm. uh, talking to Paul Levesque, making yeah. it feel big and a spectacle. And 
Um, it wasn't the, let's say, fight night presser atmosphere I expected. It was a little bit different. Everyone was a little more humble. It was weird having one-on-ones. The face-offs, I guess, were okay. I just, I'm not excited. And it's weird to say because Tyson Fury's in it. And it's cool. And he's going to make a check. And it's going to make the Wilder fight in February bigger, which is what's best for business for me and you. But I'm not excited about this this run. And uh, Braun Strowman, you ruined his career, Dre. You single-handed. From the moment you said he was the big show... They've booked him exactly like the big show. And this is his Mayweather moment. You've ruined his career. I've said what it was from the beginning. Once you figure out King Hippo's weakness, he becomes like a sideshow. But you said it while he was a contender. And spoke it into existence. I knew what it was. But, all right, so let's talk about it. So we announced Crown Jewel, (laughs) and I'm at the press conference. It was a cool little press conference out here in Vegas. And, you know... I talked to Triple H, I talked to Braun Strowman, I talked to Tyson Fury, I talked to Cain Velasquez, talked talk to everybody. Um, so I have my takeaways from this. One, because Triple H, the one thing that nobody asked, which I thought was crazy, and I talked to him about that day, and I put out a story about it, about it yesterday, is we don't know what the stipulation for this match is. Like, one thing Triple H says, it won't be a box match, which is obvious, but he's like, we're still working out the particulars of the match, because when you have... The thing is, this is a car accident waiting to happen because Braun Strowman is not like the greatest wrestler ever. And Tyson Fury's never wrestled in his life. So unless it's a no DQ match, I don't understand what we're doing. And Tyson Fury has and Triple H have both made it very clear to me that Tyson's not here to throw a few punches, collect the bag and leave. That there's going to be some sports entertainment going on. But these are two gigantic men. One who has a fight scheduled in February, who is still nursing a uh, healing cut over his eye. What are what? I can't foresee this match being entertaining. Maybe they find a way, but I, I just can't see this unless there's like some wild stipulation. I just don't know. I, I don't know what the hell I'm about to watch. I don't, Tyson I, Fury, Tyson Fury can't take a bump. Maybe That's he what, takes a shoulder block. Like, is he going to take the finisher? He's going to win. What's his his finisher got to be the knockout punch? Oh, it's gonna but and and there it is, like when Big Show wrestled Akibono at I think WrestleMania twenty one in the sumo match, right? But Big Show wrestled a sumo match and lost, so, so it was kind of like, all right, well, fine, you went to his realm and you lost. Big Show then wrestled Floyd Mayweather. The common thread here is the Big Show, obviously, because that's who I'm comparing Braun Strowman to. <laughs> Big Show wrestled wrestled Floyd Mayweather with one boxing got, glove. Yeah, well, yeah. And Floyd, you know, in the buildup, punched him in the face repeatedly. But there was this tremendous size difference between Floyd and the Big Show where it became an attraction. Floyd and his henchmen against Big Show. Nobody really really knew who to boo or cheer. It was weird. This is different because Tyson Fury is like the same size as Braun Strowman. And Braun's gimmick is get these hands. What is your gimmick when you get knocked the fuck out by Tyson Fury? Because that is what is going to happen. His hands are better? What is this? I don't like, know. That's the end of some weird DQ, right? False finish. Uh, Just them battling to the back. Like, everything about this is going to be awkward. From whatever the punch that Tyson Fury throws that lands and knocks Braun Strowman out, that's going to be awkward. To Tyson Fury pinning Braun Strowman is... This entire thing is going to be awkward for the enjoyment of Saudi Arabia and those of us who will be watching on the WWE Network in the middle of the day because we have nothing else to do with our lives. We can agree that it's not going to be good. There's no outcome that is going to make this good. 
No, no. And it's like, for me, this is all of my world's lying. This is quite literally everything is pro wrestling. And those of you who try to trademark that shit, get the fuck out of here. But this, everything is pro wrestling. Like, this, this is all those worlds colliding. But I, that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> like, this doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. I can't foresee this being good. I, I just don't see it. No, yeah. Sounds I, better on paper. Yeah, I, I don't know how. Strowman should walk in. Fury, realistically, should punch him once, knock him out, get the pin, and walk out. And then, and then sing. Yeah, well. I mean, I don't know. No one should take a bump. It's just going to get ugly. You're going to put him through a table? I, I just, I don't even know. Um, I don't know. But then, but then, but then you have this this Kane Velasquez Brock Lesnar match, right? Which and is now for the title that Kane doesn't even know which title is for because in a presser with uh, I think it was on ESPN the other day, and he said for the Universal Title on Ariel Show, he said I can't wait to fight for the Universal Championship when in fact he's fighting for the WWE title. And and, and the funny thing is Kane's a wrestling fan, so he it, is. It, but that just tells you how much back and forth they do with the belts. Because, you know, yeah. it's an honest mistake because Brock was just universal champion. Yeah, so this is is interesting because Kane has wrestled, what, two matches now? He did AAA um, both times. Both and Lucha style. Very yeah, different style. than a hostile that usually <laughs> – hostile. Uh, but, you know, a big man wrestling style that people usually employ against Brock. Right. So now you're doing on a big stage. See, this is what I talk about when the WWE does things that concern me. Um, which we'll we'll talk about the fiend in a minute, but you're putting Kane, who you signed to a multi-year deal, according to what, what Triple H told me. This is not a one-off for Kane. Kane's here, and you're putting him into a title match immediately in Saudi Arabia against Brock Lesnar, who knows how to wrestle. The thing is, I think the, the WWE is kind of overvaluing the draw of both Kane Velasquez and Tyson Fury. They're not Floyd Mayweather. They're not Lawrence Taylor. Like, Tyson Fury is still, to a lot of people, like, eh, who the hell is this guy? Cain Velasquez came out, and a lot of people were like, Dominic? Yep. Oh, Cain Velasquez. So, but you're putting Cain in this title match without anybody have ever seen him wrestle before. Now, we look at Brock Lesnar, we know what to expect. German suplexes, a bunch of power moves. But we also know that Brock's not exceptionally great wrestling guys his size. They're not necessarily fun matches. He, he does well with little guys. Kane's not a little guy. Kane's also only trained for, you know, less than a year. Um, I can't see this match being good. And if Kane just loses, what have you just done to Kane Velasquez? Yeah, Kane has to lose, though, right? Because, one, people say he needs knee surgery. Two, you're going to take your first match in the WWE and become a champion. Then you can't lose again till God knows when. Because if you beat Brock out the gate, who's going to beat you? That, th- therein lies my issue. And that, that was the, when we get to the Fiend, that's my exact issue. You beat this man out the gate, proving nothing along the way. Nothing. Now, now it's like you're the champ, but the only place to go is down. Because the WWE has too many goddamn shows, too many pay-per-views, and you can't just hold the title hostage. So if Cain Velasquez were to beat Brock Lesnar... It's like, I can't foresee Cain Velasquez having a bunch of matches with other people that are going to be fun to watch. And the well, WWE that I disagree on. I, I think if, I don't know his level of wrestling, but I think a Daniel Bryan, I think 
a Samoa Joe, people who kind of work like a shoot stop, can get very good matches out of him. See, I, see, in a feud, if you want to do it that way, and he can win. Now you're not valuing those guys, but much like them versus Brock, they can make that work very well. But see, there, here's my issue. Kane wrestles the lucha style. Those matches in AAA were mixed tag lucha matches where yeah. Kane was kind of protected, where he didn't have to be in the ring very long. In a oh, don't get it wrong. This could be a three minute match. What what, what I'm saying is, it, let's just let's say Kane were to beat Brock. Yeah. And Kane now is the champion who has to face somebody at Survivor Series in a month. And you put Kane in, like let's just say you put Kane in there with Daniel Bryan. This is not like. What makes Brock Lesnar matches work with Daniel Bryan is this power versus finesse. AJ Styles, power versus finesse. What is Cain Velasquez? He's 305 Live, right? Is he? Because it looks awkward as shit still. No, it does. I mean, but you're asking me what style of fighter he would be at his best when he learns how to wrestle. He is, you know, what a lot of big guys are. He's Keith Lee. He's... Um, some of these bigger guys who do Hurricane and Rana's and, and wild shit. Like Keith Lee just did some crazy moves the other day. I forgot what the hell it was. But in all those matches, they do it crazy. They did a Spanish fly off the top rope in Dijak last time. So that that's Kane. That's Kane like three years from now, maybe. Maybe. That's like Kane, maybe. That's like Kane at Count Crown Jewel. Like Brock Lesnar ain't taking a poison Rana. Right, like Brock Lesnar, <laughs> he's not taking a top rope. Fucking... <laughs> nah, he's not taking like a uh, big Swissita, like from a, a guy the size of size of Cain Velasquez. Oh, our, he, boy, our boy Justin Ivy will lose his shit because he's like, been hating that these big guys are doing these crazy moves and they're not finishes. Ooh, wait till Cain just does a Michinoku driver off the top rope to Brock. Like, but dog, Brock ain't taking it. That's the thing. Brock is not <laughs> taking that bump. No. So it's like. Against like Ray Mysterio, dog, you could do whatever you want. Like Ray, you like it's just like throwing a fucking piece of gum at a tree. But like you know what? That's the best case scenario. Ray Mysterio for some reason turns on Kane. Let that be the first feud. Protect I, him. I just whatever. Either way, we know we Brock. This like it's Saudi season. We know we're at, they're after the bag. And my my issue that I always say about these these goddamn crown jewels and greatest battle royals is they just throw a monkey wrench into the long-term story planning because you're only doing this to appease people overseas who aren't your weekly consumer of your product. But are giving paying, you, like, 40 mil a show. Like, dude, Tyson Fury's making 15 million to do this. Yep. Shit, he not, might not come back. He might not come <laughs> back. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> but it's like, but now you're doing, this, you're doing this match, and it's like, what do you do next week when you're back on Raw and SmackDown? Crazy. How much do they give Conor McGregor if he decides to show up? Oh man, they give if, him a bet. It would see it have to be in Saudi Arabia. It would have to be a Saudi. You think that bothers Conor? Like <laughs> Not, no, it doesn't bother Conor. But it's it's saying like it's weird because these shows happen, um, and they should be outside of the WWE canon. Like they shouldn't affect storylines. But now because they spend so much time promoting them in yeah. their weeklies. Which I don't understand. If you're getting the bag anyway, why are you promoting them heavy? Why are you no, booking it? Just have it an offshoot like Beast in the East was. Like, for real. Like or, just, Star, or Starcade they have. Just a random offshoot. Random matches. There's no like, no purpose in the storyline. Like, just book the match. I don't need the week. Like, like, I didn't need that contract signing with Tyson Fury trying to break the pen on Raw. I don't need that shit. No. I know it's about to happen. 
you like you could do like a radio remote interview or some shit like that. You could trot them out on ESPN, but don't make it part of my WWE storyline. The show is no. already long enough. Yeah, just throw throw the match card out there, a cool little graphic, and let it ride. Yeah, just show up and watch. That's it. Just mention it. Like you don't need to devote story time to this. But alas, they think they do. I don't. I'm gonna watch anyway. Why? Because I got shadows to do at eleven o'clock. So it it is what it is. Um, then we have the WWE draft. This format was a dub. Like it didn't work. Um, you you had the the war rooms, which was just the same two clips it rolled out over like two days. Um, it seemed cheesy and fake. They they were going for a real sports feel and did the did it the fakest way possible. All right. People have seen me rail this shit on Twitter. Now, again, man, like, I, I watch this shit, so I like WWE. But yeah. they just really do dumb shit. And this draft was the epitome of stupid. And I said last week, if you're going into a so-called war with a rival promotion, you put your best foot forward. Now, SmackDown, after seeing a million people tune out from the first week to now, and, and Raw just, just falling off the cliff, in their third hour, it's because of shit like this. Yep. Because the draft felt absolutely meaningless. And here's a few things for those of you who don't didn't pay attention to me on Twitter or, you know, need, need to me to reiterate. One, why is the war room celebrating a pick that they know that they picked? This was the most ass backwards thing I've ever seen. Because what they should have had, my 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 thing is, you should have had a green room with the wrestlers, and when the wrestlers got the call. They should be celebrating getting picked, not the war room, because they made the goddamn selection. Like they did in 2016 when NXT people watched along and like cried and was genuine reactions. Yeah, like that. It should feel like that because, like, listen, man, we've all played sports. If I'm if I'm playing, like, we've all played kickball. If I'm picking my kickball team and I have the first pick and I see the homie and I pick him, the homie's like, "Yes, you picked me." I'm not like. Yes, I picked you. That's not how this shit works. No. It's, that's not how these war room rules work. And they were corny as hell. You can Two. show them being disappointed at a pick. That's different. Exactly. You lost that's somebody. You can show them maybe taking someone off of the board. Like, you know, like, there's so many real ways you can work it. Like, say Sami Zayn interferes in a match Nakamura is having, an IC title match. And you have SmackDown say, you know what? due to his character, we're taking him off the board. And you scratch and you send someone up, they scratch Sami Zayn's name off the board. Now you know, okay, cool. That's some real life shit. Your actions dictate what they are doing during a draft. Or you win a match. You win, you know, the second match on the card, Ricochet versus whoever. And you have Raw get on the phone immediately. Boom, boom, boom. No, you know what? We need Ricochet right now. Yeah, like we'll trade the third and fifth, fifth pick we'll for go. Ricochet because he just balled out. Like you can do shit like that. So, so which leads me to my next thing: having Stephanie McMahon come out and announce these picks, and not having the picks themselves ever show up to celebrate that they were picked. Like I just talked about the green room, but it felt very inconsequential because all Stephanie was doing was like reading names, mm -hmm. and it was just like like I was at SmackDown. And I was like, this is so stupid because they're just saying names. And I'm just like, okay, cool, because. For the most part, a lot of the talent just stayed where they were. 
They didn't even really move brands. It was like, oh, SmackDown gets Daniel Bryan. No shit. They already had him. Like, what, what are we doing? Yeah, now, I, would, I would like to see it like the NFL draft. Every five minutes, you make a pick. And if a match is going on, you make a pick. Show the highlights of the person picked on the bottom. Like, when someone gets drafted from fucking Middle Tennessee State, you see their highlight package. So you're like, yeah. yo, my Giants got this dope ass kid. Look, he's returning touchdowns. Show that in the bottom if the match is being made. You do the bigger ones between matches, and you say, you know, with the third pick in, you know, the Raw SmackDown draft, SmackDown selects, and then you have Braun Strowman on there. And then you have Braun Strowman's reaction. In the background, you have someone super tight that he got drafted ahead of him. Like looking the, gloomy and plotting on him. You show Strowman's highlights, him flipping shit. You have well, him come like, out, shake Stephanie's hand or Triple H's hand. Cool. When somebody gets, you know, say someone's in a feud, let's say Becky Lynch, she gets drafted, she come out to shake the hand. Boom. She gets hit by a chair from Sasha. Shit like that. Well, I mean, I mean dude, or have somebody get drafted and not want to go to that brand and be like, I'm holding out. Yeah. Like, like, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, do, they, that, do the hats, have them come on stage, all that shit. Like, they didn't do any of this. But now here's my third thing. And this is like the worst part of the draft. The picks made no fucking sense. Everyone I, stayed I, where they were. Is it no, not, it's not that. It's not that. It's the order. Because they did this draft pool thing, which they spoiled their own picks or whatever. But, <laughs> like, they drafted, like, Authors of Pain didn't get drafted. But Titus O'Neil did. But they've been building up Authors of Pain for weeks with promos, but not good enough to get drafted? Like, the danger of a draft for a show that's scripted is that the danger is that the lower that somebody's supposed to be picked, it means that maybe the company values them less. But in this case, if Titus O'Neil is getting drafted over AOP and Cesaro, we've got a fucking problem that needs to be addressed. It makes no sense. Just make it make sense. And then or, your, your or, performance throughout the year dictates where you get drafted. Like, everyone knows who's hot. No, no. You make these rules and you say you can draft a team, right? You draft a team as one pick. Fucking Raw drafted Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross separately and then traded them for, for extra picks. For extra picks where? Next year? What picks are you trading them for? This dog, I know there's people like get over it, move on. No, man. Like, no, it's so easy to make it make yeah, sense. You're trying to put your best foot forward. Dog, this was it was it was bad on just a number of levels, and it just felt very inconsequential. And I felt like Raw is and SmackDown are not taking the steps forward they should be if you're in a so-called war. They're on cruise control, and they're now they're just. All you're doing is opening up the door for people to go, you know what? I'm going to turn to this AEW shit. And fortunately, there's NXT that makes Wednesdays absolutely enjoyable in the fastest two hours of my life because the two best wrestling programs come at the same time. But Mondays and Fridays are just not important anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And I don't know how to even suggest that it turns around. Bischoff got the axe already. He's so, a scapegoat. Come yeah, on, he's man. like the fall guy on it, right? Like so, but now you have Pritchard, which we have three, four years of podcasts of Pritchard talking about how bad the product is and how he would book it. Yeah. Now it's time to do that shit, right? You would think. 
Like we, we have an example of someone saying, this is what's wrong. This is what needs to change. This is how you make it better. Now he's in charge. Quote, unquote. Well, therein lies the problem. <laughs> Quote, unquote. <laughs> we know who's in charge. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. Not until he dies. And it's grim, but it's the truth. And even, and then, even then, I don't care if it changes 10%, Dre. 10% is a lot better. I just wish Vince McMahon understood. Like, you're, just, you're not helping the company anymore, no. dog. Where do the shareholders stand in this? It's publicly traded. How long until you say, we've changed every aspect of this, Vince, and we're pretty sure you are the problem? You have to step down as a creator and just be a board man. When do shareholders say you are hurting our bottom dollar? Well, I think it happens, see, because you had really nothing to compare it to before. So when WWE is like doing whatever rating they're doing, the, the, the WWE can blame it on the MLB playoffs. They can blame it on Monday Night Football. They Streaming, can blame it on, cutting the cord. Yeah, you can blame it on all these things. The one thing you can't blame it on is a rival competitor. You can't say, well, this brand's doing better than what you're doing, so what's going on here? Now, if AEW can climbs in the ratings and stakeholders are looking at it and they're going, well, the ratings are down, but theirs are going up. Now you have something to compare it to, and now you can ask questions. Because now Vince can't say, it's because of Monday Night Football, or it's because of streaming, or it's because of this. No, it's because you got a bad product. But you need a, pro- you need a product out there to show people who aren't invested in wrestling like we are. They're just investing in ratings, and all they care about is to see the numbers and how many million people are watching it. So the excuses are like, all right, fine, you're still pulling in better ratings than something else we could put there. But then when they start looking and say, well, this company's doing better, now there's questions like, well, what the fuck are you doing wrong? Because you gave me all these goddamn excuses, but this company's doing fine. Yep, and this company's growing, and you're headed the opposite direction. So that, that's what I want to see. And listen, we watch, I watch AEW every week. So my vote counts, and hopefully it pushes them. AW NXT gets my vote every week. They get my view live. I count in the ratings. So hopefully it makes a difference here because, yeah, main roster is just kind of lost with it, man. Um, and with that being no, we said... A, no, we have a cuckold angle still going. Still, yeah. It's one of the major angles. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't know. When people say bring back the Attitude Era, I don't know if we need that aspect of the Attitude Era. I mean, look, man, to be clear, the Attitude Era was cool because it was like PG-13, like, you know, NC-7, like, you know, borderline R-rated shit. But it wasn't because of a cuckold angle. Like, when Triple H had sex with a corpse in a casket, nobody liked that shit. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were bad angles in the Attitude Era. This would be one of them. This cuckold angle is terrible. And Bobby Lashley is the perfect goon to do it because he looks like a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, he'll do anything at this point. Um, AEW NXT had good weeks. Again. I like the tag division a lot in AEW. Knew I would, but they're showing out. And uh, just, I mean, what the Marco, the Marco and Jungle Boy match was so much better than I thought it would be. That, dude, that was phenomenal. Like, Marco's stunt, the thing about Marco, like, if you've met Marco's stunt and stood next to him, which I have. He's legit like Fox, too. Yo, you realize, like, <laughs> yo, like, like, 
I was just standing next to Ray Mysterio this week, and I, you know, it was like me and Sam Roberts standing there, and it was like Kane Velasquez was Ray Mysterio, and I'm looking at Kane, and I'm like, yeah, you're you're tall, but you're not like huge. Brock Lesnar's a giant. Braun Strowman's huge. Tyson Fury's huge. Ray Mysterio's small, but I'm still like, yo, he's still kind of yoked up. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, he's a decent sized man. Still, he's small, but he's still a decent sized. Marvel Sun is not that. No. And <laughs> by no means. By any means, but that match, like, it was a match that I looked at on paper and I was like, this should be a squash match, it should be terrible. But they made that shit work. Yep. And that's the beauty of wrestling because some people are like, ah, suspend, you know, that's bullshit. Like somebody said the other day, Reels offense doesn't look like it hurts. Well, I don't know what the fuck you're watching because I think Real looks great. I think, she's, I think she's wildly entertaining. I had to jump in on a conversation of like, oh, Io Shirai is greater than Rio and Bob. Like, it's it's unfair to compare the two. Io Shirai is arguably the best female wrestler in the world. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. that's an unfair comparison. Like, let Rio grow. Like, she doesn't, to me, she doesn't have a character. AEW hasn't pushed that on a lot of their talent yet. Like, a lot of their talent are, you, you come as you are. Um, Which is cool. Because the match quality carries it. And if that's how, what their brand is, that's what their brand is. That's fine. But EO is in the WWE. You need some form of character. They found a way to give her a badass character now. So, like, yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, so she was lacking in character. She hasn't won the title yet. Cool. When she wins the title, she's going to be a badass champion. And people, like, just the comparisons. Um, I've decided today this is the last time I'm comparing numbers. Instead no. of just like a quality of wrestling each week, like AW, NXT, and main roster numbers. Um, I started to feel like when people had that 50 Cent and fucking uh, Kanye West, like, oh my God, this person went platinum in two days. Like once that shit got into hip hop, it really killed the mojo. And I'm feeling like that with wrestling. Like, yo, Raw did this number, SmackDown did this number. AEW still at a million. Like, who gives a fuck if AEW's at a million? Who cares if it's at four? Like, to me, if it's better, then it's my number one show that week. Like, this week, I'll probably go AEW one, NXT two, so on and so forth. Like, I don't you We're splitting hairs between Raw and SmackDown. And I look forward to the day where I say, you know what? SmackDown numbers may be fucking 2.0 on Fox. And Vince might flip his fucking wig. But the show's really good. And that's some... Yeah. Good ass wrestling for two hours. I'll take that any day. I don't care where the numbers are. So no, I'm still I mean, that. Like until quality, that quality is what matters right now. And on Wednesday, I had New Japan, AW, NXT on my TVs, and I was happy as shit. I didn't know where to look. That's and that's my thing. Like people that week to week go um, make it a point to go on social media and go, ah, AW is better than NXT, and ah, NXT was better than AW. Again, like okay, you have your preference. That's cool. Because I do as well. Like, we all have, like, certain segments that were better than others. To me, the best match um, this weekend was in New Japan. And the second best match was on AEW Dark. To each his own, whatever you like. That's but, real, though. And then but, third is probably an XT match. Yeah. But regardless, just enjoy the shit. Yeah. Because they're both putting on really good shows. And we're going to all watch TakeOver as a family. We're all going to, well, we're not going to watch Full Gear because we're going to be at Logan Paul KSI. But, you know, we're all going to watch these shows that are putting on really good shows. It's not, it's not necessarily a competition thing. This is a thing that's uh, satiating our appetite for pro wrestling. What was your New Japan match real quick? Oh, I love the Osprey El Fantasmo match. I thought that shit was incredible. I rewound it like three times. When you said pause it, I was like, no, I'm going to let it rock. And then I came uh, I was like, nope, I got to stop it. 
Like, the spots in that match were so great. And Will Ospreay's just fucking amazing. Like, that's another... Give it eight stars. I don't care what Meltzer get. Like, <laughs> that shit's off the rail. It had a run-in that made sense, but didn't stop the mojo of the match. Like, the yeah. match went on for another hot 15. When Ishimori came out, I was like, oh, they're going to ruin this match. And then I was like, they didn't. Nope. Just like, rolled with it. You had it. Just picked up again. It it was like the palate cleanser, and then that shit took off again. So, I think we can all, well, for those of you who don't agree, I don't know what's wrong with you, but Will Ospreay is hands down the wrestler of the year. Hands down. There's Shingo, uh, El Fantasmo, and Okada. Those three matches alone. This man is by far, having one of the best wrestling years ever. I mean, we talk about Kenny Omega with this trilogy with Okada, uh, but Kenny Omega's like he was dancing with Okada. Not to take anything away from Kenny Omega, but Osprey has done this with three different wrestlers. Yeah. And with Kenny Omega, we see. I mean, he got one hell of a match on Joey Janela. He's Ooh, still, he's still like, really fucking good. <laughs> look, look, people that try to crap on and like Kenny Omega, I'm like, yo, if you didn't watch AEW Dark and that match Ooh. with Janelle, you're not you're not a pro wrestling fan. Like, if you say that there is anything it's, wrong with it's that, still, match, it's still a little too much. Uh, everything is a no DQ match to me, but they made one hell of a match out of that. Yeah, well, I think that match they they purposely said that yeah, it was gonna, yeah, no that DQ. match because uh, again, which was smart, someone pointed out to me on Twitter is that unsanctioned matches in AEW actually mean something. Yeah. Because they don't count against your win-loss record if it's unsanctioned. But win-loss records matter so much that if you have an unsanctioned match, it actually means you can go balls to wall because if you win or lose, it doesn't matter. Dude, listen. Genius. Yeah, I mean, this is like, again... What NXT and AEW are doing on Wednesday nights is what I felt like when I was watching the Monday Night Wars. Because, again, me and my good friend, we went to college together, Ramon, we used to go to the dorm room. We used to make sure we were there on time. We flipped back and forth like maniacs. And we never really said, like, one show was better than the other. We just was trying to find the moments in between these shows. It wasn't until, like, WCW completely fell off the table that we were like, all right, I ain't watching this shit no more. But... This feels like that again because I'm like when Champa comes out, I'm like, yo, I need to watch Champa, and I stand for Io Shirai, so I was like, I don't care what's happening, I'm watching Io Shirai wrestle, or the John Moxley Pac uh, Hangman Page Omega match. I was like, this is great. Like there was just so many the Keith Lee Dijakovic match. I'm like, yeah, like I'm watching all the matches, and I'm Punishment like, Martinez had a good match. We still calling him Punishment Martinez. I don't right? know his real name. Can't help it. Like, anyway, what is his new name? I forget it all the time. Damien Priest. Damien is... Priest. Yeah, it just reminds me of uh, <laughs> uh, from Dust Till Dawn. People are like, hey, what is his character? He's a vampire from Dust Till Dawn. Like he's clubbing and shit, but he's also dark. I don't. That's that's the only thing that comes to mind. Um, or a Spanish it... vampire in Brooklyn. I, I can't I can't really peg it yet, but it's somewhere in between those two characters. But no, he's still Punishment Martinez. Yeah, but it's like all this stuff is just really great and everybody should enjoy it. It's like Raw and SmackDown is the ones to get the criticism. Now, that being said, there's two things. One, Bound for Glory on Impact is this week. And I think with Impact coming to access next week, we're going to probably gonna start need to incorporating some Impact in here because I'm really curious how people are going to look at Impact Wrestling. Yeah. Because they put on good shows. It's just nobody's watched them because they couldn't find them. And now they're on TV and now they're going to be on Tuesday nights. So this should be give it a watch. That AEW Dark, those are gonna be my Tuesdays. Oh, I got three TVs, so I might as well throw the 
WWE Fox show up there too. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. But the other thing is, I, I do want to leave this talking about the fiend. Um, <laughs> On a positive they, note, no, no, yeah, no. no. They 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 booked this uh, rematch at Crown Jewel, um, a false count anywhere match, which means it'll probably end by count out. Um, so we're doing the fiend and Seth Rollins again there, which probably means we're going to do it again at Survivor Series. The rumor is, is that, well, forget it, we'll talk about the rumor after this. Seth Rollins Google mapped uh, the Firefly Funhouse and crashed it and burned it down on Monday Night Raw. If y'all don't think this angle's jumped the shark, I don't know what the hell y'all talking about. Because this is, this is out of control now. There's nothing left. What are they doing? You gotta move them. He's they're on different brands. <laughs> well, clearly the Wildcat rule is still in effect for these two. I don't know. Like <laughs> they said it was dead. Wildcard rule is dead. How is it dead when they're on two different brands? The only thing that makes sense, right? And we know Brock is on SmackDown. And it's weird, but I who told me this? Someone texted me this, like, or DM me it um, as like a hot take. But I like their hot take. Is the Fiend taking the Universal Title to SmackDown, and for some reason Kane taking the belt to Raw? But then you're still stuck with Kane with the belt on Raw. But Kane isn't anywhere, and you can just flippy floppy the belts. But the Fiend can't lose. Well, unless you bring both belts to SmackDown, and somehow have Fiend Lesnar at Survivor Series, and you combine the belts, but the Fiend damn sure can't lose to Lesnar. It just doesn't make sense to have a, a universal red belt on a blue brand. You got to combine them and go back to like the Wing Beagle or something, or just the WWE time. But I just don't understand why we're like I, I, the Firefly Phone House was the best thing that the Fiend had going to bring us to the Fiend. Yeah. And now you've you've ruined it. It's no, like, I think they bring it back like a like a rabbiting rabbit. He dies every week like Kenny, which I find is like the best shit ever. But um, I think the funhouse is actually like in Bray's mind, so you can't bring it down. Like I think it's all a figment is, of the fiend's imagination. So I, I think it comes that everybody back. Everybody else can see. Yeah, like I, I think it's a it's a real place because Bray can live in it, but. Bray on Twitter, which is great, because no matter how much they fuck shit up on TV, Bray plays it off so well on Twitter. Um, when they had him do the Hell in a Cell thing, like he posted a gif of like him laughing, which was hilarious. And then this week he was like, Seth, I forgive you. Like, you know what? I understand you're just upset. He was like, someone else might not forgive you, but I forgive you. But one question, how'd you find the funhouse? Are you dead? And that's like a cool little like hint. Like, yo, how'd you find this? Because it's not real. So it's something to play off of. Um, it, but I, the rumor I, is, that's, that's what I was going to get to. The rumor is that SmackDown didn't want the Firefly Funhouse, House, and that's why they burned it down. Don't know if that's true. I have no source that has been able to corroborate that story at that's all. It's so whatsoever. ridiculous. Like, it's part of the gimmick. Yeah, it is. But It's in the entrance. It's just, it's just one of those things where, like, okay, the Firefly Funhouse has become to Bray Wyatt what I'm gonna use Carlito for an example. Remember Carlito? Remember Carlito? Car we all love Carlito until they just burned him the fuck out, like they do with everybody. Yep. Carlito's gimmick was the apple. 
And when Carlito chewed the apple and spit it in your face, it was some it, it like it was like Razor Ramon's toothpick. Yeah. They they were part of the character. But when you do it too much, like if 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 Carlito comes out, chews an apple everywhere he goes and spits it everywhere he goes, it's not it means nothing anymore. Yeah. And that's kind of where the Firefly Funhouse was going because it felt like they were doing it every week and they didn't need to. But if you take it away, what is your gateway to the fiend? Then you got to put Bray in ring to cut promos because you just can't. The fiend can't talk. Let's just leave it at that. The day the fiend talks, that's the day I say the fiend is dead. I mean, it's the day the Kane unmasked or Kane talked or. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Taker, I wasn't even a huge fan of Taker when he started talking. Like, Paul Barrow was huge. Um, and then Taker made it work over time. But Bray has a unique quality where he has this split type of persona where. Which is why I'm not like overly upset at Rollins attacking Bray. Because Bray's like, what are you doing to me? Like, yo, I I got no problems with you. I ain't do nothing to you, fam. Like, why are you beating me up? Like, and, and Bray treats it as though the fiend is someone separate. The WWE seems to fuck that up on the regular. Like announcing him as the fiend Bray Wyatt is ridiculous. It's either the fiend or it is Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt seems to understand that these are two completely different people. It's, man, it's it's out of control. Like, this has gotten so out of hand that they can't reel it back in. Like He's trying his best. I'll, I'll give him that. He's like, not again. Not yeah, again, Satan. <laughs> the, the, the toothpaste is out the tube, man. You can't put it back in. And that's what, Bray's going to try his damn because he was like, I had one and you guys just couldn't wait to fuck it up. So, we'll see. I mean, Saudi Arabia, what is that? About two weeks from now? Two weeks from today, actually. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the fall. Again, it's a, it's a false count anywhere match, but, dog, this shit might end in a count out. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. But yeah, I, just, I can't get over the fact that they ruined The Fiend. I just can't get over it. And some people say he's not completely ruined. Eh, okay. We're, we're, we're heading that way. The, the snowball turns into an avalanche eventually, but it starts as a snowball, and this is what's happening. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll see. Um... As I look at my Twitter timeline and see that Showtime is working on a 6-9 documentary series called Super Villain. Oh, God. What an amazing world we live in. Um, that's our show for today, though. That shit comes to fruition. We'll talk about it next week. I uh, want to thank all you guys for listening today to a, man, long show, hour and 30 minutes. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on social media at The Corner LSN. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. It's going to be a busy week coming up. Tons of stuff to preview on next week's show. We're going to be moving around, um, getting ready to cover fights in Vegas, and then watching the Saudi Arabia WWE card, and tons of UFC coming up. So make sure you guys stay tuned. Tons in the world of combat sports and whatever other fun stuff you find on Twitter. Until next time, though, we're out. Peace.